0: of Lent. We've been in the season of gospel, reading through uh, the book of Matthew, and you may say, Lent, I, what is that all about? Um, and you know, you could look all through your Bible and you're not going to see anything about Lent. There's no, hey, you must observe Lent. Uh, but instead, what it is, it's, it's a, a practice that the church for centuries has seen to be beneficial as we're leading up to Easter. It's a period of time where we spend time in reflection, uh, mirroring this idea of, of Jesus spending 40 Days in the Wilderness and Temptation. Uh, it's also mirroring this idea of, of self-denial as Jesus sets his eyes on the road to the cross. And as we begin to journey that along that way in the Christian calendar, we also spend this time in reflection. And so as we are in this new season, we're in a new, new text. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah. Uh, but we're going to do it a little bit different. Uh, we've been in Matthew, and Matthew quotes Isaiah all over the place, left and right. He's quoting Isaiah and other prophets. But what we decide to do is we're going to take text from Isaiah that Matthew also quotes. And we're going to look at them and say, okay, what is Isaiah talking about in this original context? What what is his whole message? And then we're going to look and see, how how has Matthew dealt with that? And then we're going to look and say, what does that mean for us here and now? And so we are in Isaiah. We're in Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. So I'll give you a couple seconds to try to find that. It's close to the middle of your Bible. um, Isaiah chapter 40. But... What's really important for us as we come to this text this morning to recognize what it is. And this is, this is a text for refugees. That's what's going on in this text. And, and so often I think we're kind of divorced from the context. We just kind of come in with our North American mindset and start reading it and not and recognize when and who this was written to. And Isaiah is writing this as a text to refugees. He's writing to the exiles. Right? The people of God have been taken from their land. They've been taken to Babylon. And he's writing a word of comfort to them. What he's saying is, he's, he's saying, listen, I know that you've been taken. I know that you're in exile, but that, that you will come back. You will return. So this is who this is for. And so we, we need to slow down as we come into this text and hear it as if we're hearing this, this, this word written to refugees. And so let's, let's read together. It's in uh, chapter 40. I'll read verses 1 through 11. Isaiah says, comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she's received from Yahweh's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for Yahweh. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of Yahweh will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of Yahweh is spoken. A voice, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of Yahweh blows on them. Surely the people are grass." The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, sovereign Yahweh comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Amen. There's our word this morning, and it's this word written to these exiles. They've, they've been taken away from their land, and they're now in Babylon. And, and we need to recognize this word as a word of comfort. There's a word of comfort that, that comes to them in what is such a difficult place, and I think it's really hard for us to, to get our mind there. I mean, there are a lot of refugees in our world right now. And we can look at those situations, and that, that can be helpful to see people who have been taken from their homes, whether because of war, or economic reasons, or simply a lack of safety. And so we can look at that, but, but there's so much going on in that situation that I think we're just so divorced from that context. You, you can imagine going to a foreign land, as many of you have traveled, and when you're there, and, and everyone's speaking a different language. That can be difficult, it can be fun, it can be exciting, Uh, Depending on your personality. But imagine being ripped from your home and sent somewhere where no one's speaking your language. No one speaks your language, no one observes the same rituals that you do. This is the Israelites, they've been taken from their temple. And they're among the people who don't practice Sabbath, who don't practice the Torah, who don't follow that law. Everything's been ripped from them. Their normal is gone, and this is where they are now. This is disorienting loss of identity. Who am I supposed to be now? I'm a child of God, but I'm not in the promised land. And so God says, speak a word of comfort to them. And the biggest comfort he gives is this promise of return. Right? It's a promise of return. And we might miss that sometimes, but that's what's going on in this text. Right? He says, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare a way for Yahweh. Right? Make way for God. And really, this is a call to return. Because when, what did the people do? What do they know about the wilderness? What is the wilderness? It's the place that God led them to the promised land. He's saying, I'm coming again. I'm, make way for me because I'm coming through the wilderness. I'm going to take you and I'm going to bring you back. You're going to come home. He's promising another exodus to them. There's a promise of return. This whole imagery of preparing the way for Yahweh. I mean, it's very poetic. But it's also kind of realistic armies at this time would have a portion of the army that would and they called it the strata and and this part of the army their job was to go and prepare a way and we actually have records of the queen of babylon she she would have her strata go beforehand and they literally took down mounds giant dunes and hills and they would just level them and fill in crevices with them to make way for her army to prepare the way and so, that's what God is saying. saying, prepare the way. And the, the image that I thought of for our modern day is this. Right? We're talking about a, a king and preparing the way. Well, what is this? It's the red carpet. Right? And we don't have as many queens and kings, dignitaries. I mean, we have the Queen of England. Who else do we do red carpets for? Celebrities, A-list actors and actresses. Right? But so, we have a red carpet and we roll it out. Right? We just, Put this out for them. And this is the, the way that we prepare a way for someone. When we see this, and we recognize, oh, something special is happening. This is a big deal, right? And that's the image that is being given here is prepare because something big is happening. Make things ready because God is coming. And that's the, the big thrust of this passage is this, is that God will do it. This isn't a passage saying, hey, get ready because you've got a lot of stuff that you've got to do. Say no, get ready because God is coming. God is gonna be the one who saves you. And and that becomes abundantly clear in the rest of the passage. Right? It says, The glory of God, the Lord will be revealed, all mankind together will see it. And then the rest is just, well, why? Well, because God said so. <laughs> Yahweh's spoken and his word stands. It's gonna happen. It may not look like it's gonna happen, but Yahweh said it. So it's gonna happen. And, and and he makes that abundantly clear that this is the good news that Isaiah is giving his people. And so now what I want us to do is, is let's fast forward. This is written in about the, the 8th century. Now let's fast forward to Jesus' time. And we have Matthew is writing this gospel about this man named Jesus. And he also has good news to share. You see, the, the word, the phrase that we have for, for gospel, it's the Greek word Euangelion. It's the exact same word that is used in the Greek translations that when Isaiah writes here, you who bring good tidings to Zion, good news, evangelion, You who bring a gospel to Zion. Anytime you have good news, that's a gospel. And Matthew says, hey, I've got good news. I've got gospel for you. And it's all about Jesus. And so we, we are introduced to John the Baptist. Matthew 3 He says, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Wait, this is who it was speaking about? Because I thought it was talking about the exile and coming back home from Babylon. And what it was about, John the Baptist? It's confusing, isn't it? What, what, is that, what is Matthew talking about? What was Isaiah talking about? You see, Matthew says, he sees Isaiah's good news. And he says, no, it's actually, it's good news for us too. But what's required first is that we have to be admitting a harsh reality. In order to hear Isaiah's word fresh for us, we have to admit a harsh reality and it, it's this. It's that the people are still in exile. The people who have returned to their land, who have left Babylon, they're still in exile. Because the reality is outside of just about a decade of independence, the people of Israel have remained under one foreign ruler's thumb after another. And they haven't been free. And so it's been still a period of exile. They might be in the land, but they are not free. And they they aren't getting to be the people of God that, that they thought they were supposed to be. And so they have to admit that harsh reality that Isaiah's prophecy, well, yeah, it came true, but it, it hasn't come to full completion. We're not seeing that. They have to admit that. And, and harsh realities are they're difficult to admit. Often, we just kind of want to ignore it and not own up to, to the reality that we're facing. But That's what Matthew says we have to do. We have to recognize this word of Isaiah, we need, fuller, we need more complete completion. And so we have to admit that. And then what he does in the next few chapters is he lays out, then, a hope for a new Israel. A hope for a new Israel. And I, I've talked about this before, so I, I won't belabor this point. But what we see happening in chapters 3 and 4 is he's saying, This guy Jesus, he's the new Israel. He, he's the one who's going to come and do it, he's the one who's going to return from exile. And come and lead us into God's presence. Lead us home with God. And the way he shows it, I mean, Jesus comes and he passes through the waters. Just like Israel did. right? In baptism, he passes through the waters just like Israel did as they went through the Exodus. And then he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days, just like Israel was tested in the wilderness for 40 years. And we're being shown clearly by Matthew Jesus is the one. He's the one we can put our hope in. He's going to rescue us. He's going to lead us out of exile. And in the Jewish mind at that time, what would that mean? Well, one thing for sure, we're going to push out the Romans. We're going to get rid of these Romans. They, they're the ones who are oppressing us. We're under their thumb. They're the reason we're still in exile. Right? And so everything in Matthew is building up to this new hope. Okay, now it's going to be fulfilled, what Isaiah says is going to be fulfilled in Jesus because he'll get the Romans gone and everything's going to be okay once we deal with that outside problem. And this is where we experience a a very unexpected twist. A very unexpected twist. And it's all through Matthew, the, the hints for it, but I think it comes in really clearly in Matthew 16. Verse 21 says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day, be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And these are not the words of a military revolutionary. These aren't the words of someone saying, hey, listen, guys, I'll take care of Rome, I'll get rid of him, and then we'll be able to do what we want. He says, I'm going to go die. You have to lose your life if you actually want to find it, guys. That's the way out of exile, which is not what people were expecting, not what people wanted to hear. It's not the good news that they had anticipated. It was good news, nevertheless. What I want to do right now is I want to show us a quick video. Um, We've shown Bible Project videos before, uh, so I hope you guys have gotten onto them. They're on YouTube, free resources, really good stuff. But this is a video that's going to help us kind of understand this theme of exile that runs all throughout Scripture. So check it out.
1: There's something about being home where everything's just right. We're surrounded by people we love and trust. There's a feeling of stability and safety. And while some people get to experience this
2: kind of home, many do not. Others might even be forced to leave their home and go live in a foreign land. We call this going into exile. Yeah, in exile, everything is disoriented. You're in the unknown. And in the story of the Bible, this is where the ancient Israelites found themselves. Conquered by Babylon, living in exile far from their homeland.
1: And so they had to ask themselves, how did we end up here, and is there any hope of going home?
2: And the whole story of the Bible is designed to address those very questions. The whole story? Really? Yeah, go back to the first pages of the Bible. Where does humanity live? Okay, they live in this really sweet garden, their home. And they're there on one condition, that they trust and follow God's one command, and they don't. And so the consequence is banishment from the garden.
1: Ah, they are sent into exile.
2: Exactly. And so this story has been designed to set you up for Israel's story. How they were given the gift of the promised land and were able to stay there on one condition, that they be faithful to the terms of their covenant relationship with God.
1: Um, They didn't and they were sent into exile.
2: And if you still do not see the parallel between exile from the garden and exile from Israel, think about this. In Genesis, humanity's exile led up to the story about the building of what city? Oh, yeah. Babylon. The same place the Israelites are sent. But that's not the end of either story. In the first Babylon, God called Abraham to leave and travel to the promised land. And that story was designed to give hope to the Israelites currently living in the later Babylon.
1: Now, eventually, they do get to
2: leave and travel back to their promised homeland. And when they did... It wasn't home sweet home. Oppressive empires were still ruling over them, and the people kept acting in the same corrupt ways as their ancestors. And so the biblical prophets said that exile wasn't actually over. How
1: could they think they were still in exile when they're at home?
2: Yeah, this is really important. In the Hebrew scriptures, Israel's Babylonian exile became an image of something more universal. It's that feeling of alienation and longing for something more, no matter where you live.
1: Yeah, I I can relate to this. I have a great home, but it's situated in a world scarred with pain and broken relationships, death, tragedy, done by others, but also done by me.
2: And so in the Bible, exile is the human condition. We all keep repeating this pattern of human corruption leading to a Babylon that we can't escape. And it doesn't matter
1: where you live, we are all longing for a better home. Now, Israel's scriptures held out hope that one day God would send a king who would rescue the world from all of the Babylons we've created.
2: And after many generations pass, we meet this Israelite named Jesus of Nazareth. He wandered about with no home, announcing the great restoration, that reality of home that Israel and all humanity has been looking for.
1: Yeah, Jesus really cared about people who didn't have homes. He welcomed in the stranger. He said God's love is shown when you invite in the outcast and throw parties for people who don't have a place to belong. Jesus
2: also claimed that Israel and all humanity had lost its way, that our self-centeredness drives us to create false homes based on status and power, and these inevitably exclude others. We live in an exile of our own making. But Jesus said the true way home is one of weakness, of service, and of forgiveness. And then Jesus went into exile alongside us to show us the true way home. Which is? Well, Jesus said he is the way. His life and self-giving love proved more powerful than humanity's failure. He opened up a pathway to our real home. And as Jesus' followers committed themselves to him, they discovered this new way of being human. They believed that the real return from exile had begun. And so they would call themselves sojourners
1: or wanderers. Oh, right. They would say things like, the world isn't our home and we're citizens of heaven.
2: And so Jesus' followers remain exiles as they wait for that day when Jesus returns to transform this world into a true home.
0: beautiful image so I hope that I hope that video is helpful and just kind of seeing this this idea of exile being this major theme that yeah well we're not in the land and then we're in the land but we're still not home and and, you know we could throw the Romans off but but we still would not be home because Jesus is saying we're, we're not home until we deal with this issue of exile within us we're separated from one another we're separated from God exile is this human condition it has to be dealt with. And that's what we see Jesus doing. And, and so as we are entering the season of Lent and, and we're, we're taking the time to, to set our, our focus on the road to the cross, we need to begin asking ourselves questions of, of what it looks like to be making straight paths. That's what the voice in the wilderness is calling, to, to prepare the way for God. And so we need to ask, in what ways can we be preparing the way for God, making straight paths for God to to act in a very real way in our lives? And so I think the first thing we need to acknowledge in in that process is that while it's difficult for us, we we need to be intentional about maintaining our alien status. What I mean is this. What I mean is this. Go back to that image of of the Israelites going and, and... being taken into exile to Babylon. you got a lot of choices about how you're going to live life now. And one is just to say, well, I guess I'm a Babylonian now, and just take a Babylonian name and take a Babylonian job and learn the language and start doing the rituals and what everyone else does and just be in Babylon. Another option is to form kind of a holy huddle over here and say, well, we're just going to be Jews and not do anything that they do over here. And that there's a beautiful option in between where we say, oh, I'm, I'm a citizen of Zion and, and my God is going to return me one day. I'm going to pray for the good of Babylon and I'm going to live here and I'm going to be a good neighbor and, and connect with Babylonians, but I'm still going to observe Sabbath and I'm still going to follow the law and I'm going, to, I'm going to do everything it means to be a child of God while I live here in Babylon to maintain our alien status. That's what Peter talks about being aliens and strangers in a foreign land. That's what you are. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. But you you live in Babylon. And so what does it look like for you to do that, to not capitulate and just say, well, I'm a Babylonian now, right? But to to remind ourselves continually, no, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans 12. He, He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't any longer just be a citizen of Babylon because that's the, what you've always known. You're, you're from somewhere else, right? Instead, you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we maintain our alien status, and I, I've listed a lot of passages. I, I encourage you, you can look through those. The New Testament writers are, are obsessed with this idea of being strangers in a strange land and living that out. But the next idea is, if we're going to do that, once we have maintaining our alien status, how do, we, how do we live that out? What does that look like? And one of the key images that Isaiah gives us and that, that Matthew draws on is this lifting the low and humbling the proud. Lifting the low and humbling the proud. And this is, this is a great uh, Lenten focus for us. And we'll just stay here in Romans 12 because Paul talks about pride. He tells us in, in verse 16, Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. So lifting the low, be, be willing to associate with people of low position. Jesus would call those people the, the poor in spirit. But he would say, this is one thing we can do in Lent, is we can be coming to people, preparing the way for God. Is going to look like coming to people and simply inviting them to experience God's love and grace. People who would say, you know, I, I could never have anything to do with God. God wouldn't love me. God wouldn't accept me. To come and to lift them up and to expose them to God's love and grace and acceptance. That's lifting the low. And humbling the proud. A lot of you are like, okay, yeah, I want to do that one. I'd love to humble me some proud people. Sign me up. But then we hear that part of the message is this. You. Do not be proud. We have to start with those mountains in us. We're preparing the way for God. Where, where is that mountain in my own heart that's, that's an obstruction towards God coming and, and doing something real in my life? How am I putting a blockade with pride? But then if we want to still say, yeah, okay, I dealt with that. Now I want to go humble some proud people. Paul says this in verse 19. He says, don't take revenge. Oh, that's what I wanted to do. He says, don't take revenge. That's God's to do. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He says, you want to get, you want to do something about the proud? Go serve him. Go feed him. Give him something to drink. Humble yourself and serve him with your life. This is, this is how We humble the proud. This is how we take down these mountains. And so as we we talk about this idea of making a straight path, I think the biggest image that we need to latch on to is this idea of preparing our hearts, our homes, and our world. I want to be really careful here. I want us to get this idea, because I feel like there's, there's the danger of hearing this and saying, okay, this is a new law. This is something I've got to work. I have to do something to make it possible for God to enter my life and do anything good. And please do not hear that. That is not the message this morning. We're not saying, hey, listen, you have to fast for Lent. You have to do something special for, for God to show up and work in your lives. That's not what's going on in this passage. It, let me read you this from Revelation, and then I, hopefully this will make sense. Revelation chapter 19 there's a multitude crying out. They're saying, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. A phrase, made herself ready. It's the same phrase, prepare the way. Her bride has prepared herself. Now, uh, Rob, can you, can you show these pictures? So that's My bride preparing herself for our wedding day and she's so upset that I'm showing these pictures but that's okay but she's preparing herself for our wedding day and I can tell you she's getting all gussied up and and beautiful but also if she hadn't done a single thing would I have married her? man, you bet your socks I'd have married her it had nothing to do with her getting ready right? it wasn't about her getting ready with her mom or her friends and getting all beautiful that meant nothing to me Right? Was I going to marry her? Yeah, I had the ring. I was standing at the end of the aisle. I was waiting. It didn't matter what she did. So why is she getting ready? She's, She's preparing herself. She's preparing her heart. She's making room in her life and in her heart to express her love for me. Right? This is... But it's, it's so much more about, about her and her heart than it is about me. I mean, yeah, she thinks that I'll appreciate it, and she looks great, and I love it. But it doesn't earn my love. It doesn't change what's going to happen. Does that make sense? So when we talk about preparing ourselves for God, preparing for him to come into our lives and do something, can God do something in our lives if we're ignoring Absolutely. God can come and whap us upside the head. and, and do, But what we're doing is we are making the way clear as we can. Say, God, we, we want to experience you. We want to experience your love and the, the return from exile that you promised. And we're doing everything we can to remember that we, we, are not, we are not citizens of Babylon, but we are citizens of the kingdom of God. So this isn't a new work. This is something that's, that comes out of a heart of love and a desire to prepare ourselves. And so... With that in mind, let's look at what it means to prepare our hearts. What, what does it look like to prepare our hearts for God? You know, one, one idea that can kind of come out of this is I, I like to think of what is obstructing God? Well, what is obstructing me from experiencing God in my life? What is something that I can fast from in order to feast on something else? That's a, I think that's a healthy mentality in Lent. It's not just, oh, fast, don't do anything. But what, am I, what can I fast from in order to feast on something else? So, so perhaps there's, there's something, a practice in my life, a ritual, because everything we do is ritual, <laughs> something I do in my life that, that is very selfish and self-centered. And maybe can I fast from that in order to open up space to feast on, on being generous? Right? Or, or maybe... Maybe there's, there's a pocket in my life where, man, I am just lazy. And I can fast from this. I can recognize it. I can see, yeah, that's just sloth. I'm just being a bump on a log. And I can fast from this laziness in order to, to free up space to feast on serving. But I wouldn't be able to do otherwise if I'm just being lazy over here. But what areas can we look and we can say, I, you know, I am just following I am following the rhythms and rituals of Babylon as opposed to those of the kingdom of God. And how can I fast from that? I can be aware of that and say, no, this is where I want to live. And when we talk about those, those rituals of Babylon, as we talk about our homes, what's it like to prepare our homes? What rituals do we have in our homes? What, what are things that we just do that we haven't given much thought to? And they might, they might not even be bad. They're, they're, just, they're neither good nor bad. They're just things that we do. But we haven't thought to, in what ways, in what ways are we living out living out the values of the kingdom of Babylon? Do you understand what I'm saying? Ways that we haven't thought to say, well, how can we instead be, be molding our time and our, and our rituals around the kingdom of God? Preparing ourselves and... and Guys, I mean, sometimes we have this, uh, this ritual where we'll all sit around this glowing box for an hour and watch something together, right? And again, I'm not saying it's either good or bad, but what are the things that we're watching and, and what are we communicating to ourselves and to our children as we do that? And is this a time for family where we, then we go and we discuss it and we talk about the kingdom and, and how all these things connect and you don't have to use churchy words like that. <laughs> You know, But you can talk about where God is in all of this because we're citizens of the kingdom of God, not of Babylon. And then talking about preparing our world. You, this is not the image I want you to get. Preparing our world is not walking around with the Bible and thumping people on the head. But if we're going to prepare our world to experience God coming to lead us out of exile, what does that look like? And I, I think the, the question that's really helpful to ask is in every encounter that I have with people, am I leaving them more or less prepared to encounter God? Am I leaving them more or less prepared to encounter God? Am I leaving them with this sweet hint of an aroma of of something more, of something beautiful that God could be doing in this world that, that maybe they're onto something there? Or am I leaving them with a bad taste in their mouth? Every interaction we have, are we preparing people to encounter God coming to lead us out of exile? I think these are the questions that we have to be asking ourselves. And, and as, as we're talking about preparing the way, making a highway for our God to come and encounter us, we're going to be rolling out the red carpet in our lives. That's not an extra work. That's not something we do. It's something we do out of a love for God. God, I want to make room for you in my life. I want to encounter you. I want to make it possible for you to come and meet me where I am. And so we're going to, we're going to sing a song now. But I just I want to set this up. During the song, if you want to, uh, to come and respond, one, one way that I'm going to encourage people to do that is we've got this red carpet here. We've got some up here. We'll have some on this corner. There's some in the back. And there's, there's some upstairs as well. Uh, but if you want to come, you want to just cut off a little bit of the red carpet. Stick in your pocket. Stick in your Bible. but wherever you want. But it's just something that you can have with you throughout the season to remind you be preparing a way for God. Wherever you go, and I've got some already cut off. If you don't want to mess with the scissors, you just want to grab one, you can just, you can just grab one. But wherever you go, to... Be preparing a way for God, to be rolling out the red carpet. In what way am I saying, God, I want to meet you right here, right now in this experience. How can I, instead of just living through the rhythms of Babylon, how can I be intentional about saying, God, I know that you have a place for me that you're going to be bringing me to, and I want to be, I want to be speaking that language. I want to be living in those ways, ready to live in your kingdom, God. And so, while we sing, feel free to make your way up here or you can duck into the back and, and grab one there so you don't have to be in front of everyone. But um, let's do that together. We're going to pray and feel free to experience God in that way. God, we love you. And we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are a God who rescues. God, your promise is that you will do this. Please please help us not to hear this as something that, oh, now we've got to work. Oh, God, we... we This is gospel, this is good news, the good news that you are coming into our lives. God, that you want to break through the darkness, you want to break through uh, just the mundane life we live in Babylon, and remind us of the good promises of your kingdom, that we are children there. God, take our eyes from the everyday and and help us to see the great promise we have in you that's being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Go out this week... I really, I pray that, that you are hearing this message and, and hear the excitement and joy of one who gets to roll out a red carpet, of a bride preparing for their wedding saying, Yes, God, that's what I want. But if, if instead, if you're hearing this and it just sounds like more work, it sounds exhausting, and you don't, I don't know, I don't even know how to begin doing this. And please hear these words of Isaiah. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth. He won't grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Yeah, sure, youths grow tired and weary, and young men, they stumble and fall, but those who hope in Yahweh will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So as you wander through exile, As you go this week, there is a God who is coming to lift you on wings like eagles. And though you are faint, may you find rest in preparing for him. Go in peace.